You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello and welcome to The Promised Land, the show about Manchester United and part of the 90 Min Podcast Network. I'm Scott Saunders, joined as ever by Rob Blanchett. And Rob, we're smiling for once, for the first time in... 2022, <laughs> probably. Uh, Manchester United have done something good, Rob. They've beaten Liverpool 2-1 at Old Trafford. They've done something good. When you said 2022 in my head, it felt like you were saying that's the first time in 22 years that Man United have done anything good because that's how it feels. My God, I've grown a beard in that time. So, yes, they did something good. 2-1 against Liverpool. Fantastic result, loads to talk about. But just more than that, really, isn't it? Just a philosophy on a football pitch, running around, passing the ball, not giving it away, looking like you want it. Tick, 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 tick. They did all those things. And it was it was a beautiful thing to see, of course. Even if United hadn't have won that game, even if they'd have been pegged back 2-2, I would have been happy with that. It's just totally going from what we saw at Brentford... And we got a lot of stick on last week's show, Rob, I don't know if you saw, uh, for being overly negative about, uh, you know, the, Cas- the the money in the Casemiro signing and everything around the club. But just one performance where it just looks like, what was your tweet, Rob? Do you remember, remember the tweet you put out about things you wanted to see from this United team going into this yes. game? Uh, you know, talking about commitment, and technique and desire and the basics and for once for once they showed it and look where it got them I know Liverpool weren't at their best but United deserve to win and as long as we've been doing this podcast Rob I remember when we spoke at the start of last season and they beat Leeds and then Ronaldo came back and they beat Newcastle 4-1 and we were saying then something's not right here Something's not right. I haven't yeah. felt like United have had a win where you can just look forward positively uh, for a long time. I'll do some more research into when I think I last felt like that. <laughs> Maybe it was beating Man City away when Luke Shaw scored or something like that. It was a long time ago, but, yeah. you know, what's, what's changed? So we'll, we'll do the plugs in a minute, but 
for what were the big things for you in the in the win over Liverpool that made the difference? Well, look, sometimes winning games can mask all your problems, and that's okay in a, in a kind of the course of a season if you've got stuff going on and you've got to try and solve it. You'd rather win and then go back to the training ground. But what was different against Liverpool? The application of being a footballer of eleven men together working as a unit for ninety-five minutes is something that we have not seen at Manchester United since forever. You know, like it's like the end of the rainbow, isn't it? At the pot of gold. We can't see that pot of gold. It's been miles away for such a long time. So I think what we saw last night was the first instance, the first example of Eric Ten Hag football. You know, we look like a good Ajax team. So like, that's that's an incredible thing because it's taken eight weeks to get here. You know, Eric Ten Hag took the club over. First training session was eight weeks ago and it has taken two months to implement anything that looks like style and function. So for me, Scott, that was the most important thing. And at the end of the game, when Liverpool were coming back into it, Liverpool overall had 70% possession for the game. So it showed that you know they were dominant on the ball. But you don't need the ball to win a football match. You just need to put the ball in the net. <laughs> so to win 2-1 and actually create more chances, United could have won 3-1, could have won 4-1. But it was also the kind of game that you could have drawn and even lost. But it was more about effort. And if these guys give this effort every week and that performance and they duplicate that, Scott, for 38 games over a season, but they come sixth, that's fine. Because mm-hmm. you've shown to the fans that you're wearing your heart on your sleeve and you're doing all the dirty work as well as trying to play football. But of course, at Man United, I think the issue goes back, doesn't it, two, three, four years. You know, I, I was even thinking about Van Gaal last night. And when Van Gaal was getting things right, you had that 10-game period where he, where United played well, but it was stagnant and slow. Mm. And you were winning games 1-0, and it was like, I don't want to watch this. If they do that every week, everyone will want to watch it. They've, they've caused a problem for themselves now. They've been playing so far beneath themselves, and now they've shown everyone what they can manage to do in a game against a team that haven't lost in 2022. I think they've said that mm. enough times. That's a big win. It's a big, big statement, big win. And now they've set a standard that they have to meet every time they play on the pitch, no matter who they're playing. That's the beautiful thing, because they'll do their debrief at Carrington. And Eric Ten Hag, the swearer, we know he likes to swear now, don't we? But Eric Ten Hag will be stood there going, you guys, beep, know that beep, 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 that you can do this. And I think that's the big thing with confidence, is that when you do it once... You then are expected to do it every time. And it's not always going to be perfect. Like Southampton will be a tougher match in logistical terms to repeat what you're doing because they are one of the hardest working teams in Europe. So you're going to have to meet fire with fire. But you cannot then be the possession team and think, well, we'll we'll, we'll just stroll around and we'll try and do what we've done for the last two years. So uh, that is the standard now, Scott. We've seen it. We know they can do it. I think what was so important, though, overall was the selection. And the selection allows you to do what you did against Liverpool. We've been living in this romantic world of Cristiano forever. You know, he gets the goals and that's okay. But if you do not press, you do not win, you lose games and things go the wrong way. It goes south. Just so happy to see that all of those things that we've been talking about for a whole year now kind of came to fruition in one big football match. And uh, and and it isn't, it's not rocket science. I always say, you know, running around and being technical Footballers of an average standard should be able to do that. Manchester United footballers should be able to do it every week. 
Yeah, uh, I'll do the plugs. Uh, subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts on Apple, Google, Spotify, and the likes. And now you can watch us twice a week too, usually on Tuesdays and Fridays, but I believe we're back Thursday afternoon this week, Rob, uh, to get around schedules and that kind of thing. Uh, looking ahead to the Southampton game at 12.30 on Saturday, I'll be down there as well. Uh, so head over to our YouTube channel, hit the like button, join the community, subscribe, leave a comment, etc. And the link should be in the description of this episode if you're listening on an audio platform. You can follow us on Twitter too, at underscore Scott Saunders, at underscore Rob underscore B, and at Promise and MU. Uh, Rob, to get into the show to start with, I want to start with Eric Ten Hag because he got a lot of stick for making the players run 14 kilometers last Sunday, right? Oh, bring out the sports scientist and one manager would ever do that. That's awful. Why, why would he do that? He's really risking the players' fitness and all this kind of business. It's a bloody lesson. It's a lesson. It, it was always a lesson. This is the required work that you have to put in. And he got a reaction. I know his, his team selection, we'll come on to that in a second, but he deserves a lot of credit here because he's pulled a blinder to turn them around from what we saw at Brentford because that was one of the worst performances I've ever seen Man United put in. To turn them around from that to putting in the application and effort levels that we saw on Monday night against Liverpool, it's all on him. Yeah. So, you know, he's, he's played a blinder this week. It's all on him, and this is the responsibility that manager has to take. So it was it was weird watching United play merits of counter-pressing last night. And I was watching them and thinking, this is Ralph Rangnick football. <laughs> so why did it not work? Well, we know why it didn't work. It's because the senior players last year didn't want to do it, because running takes effort. So all of those things are like, you again, just expected by fans and we should expect them. I think every football fan wants to see that in any football match, but they don't do it. It's on them. But what we saw last night was that Eric Ten Hag through this week since the Brentford game has been able to get inside their heads as a collective and say, no, this does not happen anymore. And you do not run the football club. It doesn't matter if you're the big dog at the top and half a million a week or the smaller dog at the bottom on 10K, you're going to run. So get running. I like that. You know, as I said, I, I do think that football is a modern game and you have to get inside these millionaires' heads and work with them. But let's be honest, they, they all know, don't they? They all know they've not run and have been outrun by, by uh, Brentford by 12K overall. And you think... You know, I saw a lot of that made, Scott, afterwards. People kind of going, oh, it doesn't really mean much. Each player, that's only like 800 yards. It does mean something if you're being out-sprinted. And the big metric last night against Liverpool was that Man United out-sprinted a sprinting team. Mm -hmm. Now, that's brilliant. Now, that's then that's what Ten Hag will take from this. And he'll say, yeah, you won 2-1, but you did all these things that you're known for not doing. You did them and you did them well. And you got the reward. There's the, the biggest bit of salesmanship a coach can do is say that my methods worked because you did what I told you to do. And I think that was a good thing. He said after the game, and he said it obviously after Brentford, attitude, you know, you need the attitude to be able to win football, football matches. And last night we saw a Man United team with a good attitude, but also a bad attitude, meaning that they were going to go into Liverpool and hit them when they had to put their bodies on the line. And I like that balance. Uh, obviously, because they beat Brent, because they, they lost to Brentford four 0 last week. Do you think that Ten Hag is a is it a positive in a sense? Did it give him that out to make the changes? Do you think it would have 
if United had have like staggered through and like maybe won one and drawn one of the first few games, do you feel like he wouldn't have been in a position to drop Maguire and Ronaldo like he did? I don't know if it's whether being in the position, but there's always this big kind of political stuff going on around Man United in terms of selection and players and who does what. And I think for for, for Ten Hag, it's just been his process to find out who can do what for him. So we said on this show so many times, and we did get stick for it, some of these players are better than they are. Well, they've not really been proving it. So, you know, we had a bit of egg on our face after Brentford, didn't we? But the players that I'm talking about when I say that actually didn't play last night. I'm not talking about them. I'm talking like I, I, I would like them on the bench or playing for another football club. The guys that played last night, and, and it's also the new signings, you know, people, you know, giving Martin mm-hmm. a tough time in the last seven days. Oh, he's five foot nine. Oh, he's five foot nine. I don't care that he's five foot nine. The game is played on the ground 95% of the time. And well, we saw last night that when the game being played on the ground, that he can, he can be a viable centre-back in the Premier League. So all of these things add up all the way to the top end of the pitch. I think with Marcus and with Anthony Martial, really good performances, great goal by Jaden. These players can play. It's just that they need the tactics and they need to maybe have the more poisonous elements of the team out of the team so they can do their jobs. We had Ronaldo on the bench. We had Harry Maguire, Luke Shaw on the bench as well. Fred on the bench. In comes, who should we talk about first? Do you want to talk Lisandro or do you want to talk uh, Terrell Malassia first? Because I think both of them, we were trying to decipher at the end who, who got player of the match. And we didn't actually find out. So if you do know, uh, drop a comment. I I didn't see any uh, player of the match reactions, but both of those players, new signings, M- Malasia, sorry, Malasia, it gets done by I can't remember who it was, uh, a, a Liverpool player down the flank, and tracks back and tackles him and puts the ball mm. out for a corner at the second bite, and that just epitomised everything that United aren't or haven't been for the last X amount of time and everything that they were last night. I was really impressed with both of those players. Very impressed. And I think we can talk about them in the same breath, Scott, not just because their performances were so good, but they are now the left side of Manchester United's back four. So I think with Malassia, you know, you've got to remember this. He's going up against, I think, the best player in the world in Mohamed Salah. That's Salah's position, like for like. And it's not a slant at Luke Shaw, because I think quite often football fans are like either or. It's more about who can do the job. And Malassia last night, my God, it just looks like Patrice Evra reincarnated. You know, energy, toughness, leadership, all the things that you want a defender to be. But inside him, he's not looking over his shoulder going, can Harry Maguire run? Because I think that's always been Luke Shaw's problem. Luke Shaw constantly, do I need to look after Harry Maguire today or can I go forward and be a proper uh, wing back? So those two guys were just elite, best, you know, incredible standards for defenders. The whole back four, I think, played well, especially uh, Varane as well on that. Even Dallow had a good game, I think. Dallow looked defensively better than he's looked for a very long time. I think, again, trying to do the simple stuff. Um, But when you look at Malassia and you look at Martinez, how can they not play now? You know, this is why you bought them. You bought them to bring energy and to bring guile. There was one bit that I loved early in the first half where the ball was in the box, uh, pinging around, and Martinez kind of ran out to meet it, and it kind of hit him in the chest. And he got up, and they all started high-fiving each other and hugging each other and all of that. And you thought, it's it's pre-planned. 
It's like, we have to go do this. So you could see that there was that energy between them as human beings. And we haven't seen that for a long time, Scott. You know, like one of them does it and Harry Maguire kind of goes, lads, lads, do this. do," And it's boring. It doesn't work. So th that was the most impressive thing for me about the back four I think was just that the real energy that they work together and you expect that they can replicate that because that is a training ground thing where you work on closing the ball down and we did it and Liverpool didn't do it and that's why we won because you know they could you know you look at the goal for Jaden Sancho if Van Dyke bothers moving off the spot doing his best Victor Lindelof impression hand behind back look lads I'm in position do you see what uh, James Milner did after that James Milner was literally spitting bullets at him, screaming at him to say, move out. You should have moved out. Uh, this is great stuff. It's all simple, but we haven't seen it at Man United since the start of time. <laughs> I'm actually, I've been That's trying, what it feels like. this entire show, I've been trying to think about when I last felt like every, every even through the Ole Gunnar Solskjaer era, we would have, oh, United played really well. They beat City a bunch of times. Yeah. You'd always have that nagging feeling in the back of your mind. Oh, that's the limit, though. They can't. Mm -hmm. There's always that question. Oh, yeah, but when they play, uh, when they play Leicester next week, oh, that'll be a tough one. Or when they play a team that's going to sit in against them, that'll be a tough one. Yeah. They'll get found out there. And Liverpool did come onto them a fair bit, and United did catch them on the break. But we haven't seen what Eric Ten Hag can do yet. the The requirement of effort has now been established. And we know that Eric Ten Hag's uh, style of football generally means that these his kind of teams will win matches, even against teams that sit in. We haven't seen it yet, but there is at least that level of encouragement underneath for the first time in what feels like forever for me. Totally. And, and like the thing is, we're still going to feel those things, Scott, in the week ahead. There's going to be games where you play a Southampton or a Leicester like you just highlighted there. And those two teams will go, right, we're going to concentrate on these parts of United's weaknesses because we think we can beat them at that. But then that's a development process, isn't it, to iron out those creases. So ultimately, you're going to have tougher days ahead than maybe you had against Liverpool. You know, Liverpool is a nice little carrot to dangle in front of superstars and millionaires and say, look, you know, if you win this game, you know, people are going to love you. They're going to give you plaudits. But I think the truth is... Man United fans are going to love this team for their effort and their work rate. That's how it has to start. And that how, is how every game must start. And that's why the fans react to that stuff. So I think overall, you know, in the context of the game, United were the better team. United had less possession. So it shows you don't need more possession, but it shows you you need to out-sprint out the opposition. And they will have to take that now into every match. And it might not be perfect with rotation, you know, players might come back in and we might go, well, he's not ready. That doesn't work. Oh, look, now you've brought Casemiro in your team and the midfield looks great. But this week it didn't work because of this. Those things are definitely going to still happen and fans have to be ready for that. But we've seen the first seeds of recovery. And that's what I tweeted last night. I said, you know, is this the start, the reset for Manchester United Football Club as a football team? I think yes. And that's why a few weeks ago I was kind of positive because I think Eric Ten Hag has got the tools to fix it. He just needs the players now to work with his own personal tools to be able to go and take the next step, which, of course, is to become a viable top four team again. Players, new players, we'll talk about them towards the end of the show, but we've got more to talk about regarding the match against Liverpool. Uh, 
Now, I in the pre-match build-up, I was uh, obviously consuming my uh, footballing preview content uh, from from other places, and I heard a, a line from a Liverpool fan. I can't remember who it was, but said in the Liverpool fans obviously love Jurgen Klopp, hmm. and they, I think they finished eighth in his first season, and hmm. that is first full season, and yeah. they didn't do very well in his first season either. But what what they did say what this person did say was I saw elements. We didn't always get, you know, we didn't get it every week, but what you want to believe in a manager is flashes that he can work towards. And I think they they talk about that game where Liverpool played Tottenham and the difference they made, like in terms of effort like that, I just clicked. That was the first sign. And I, I completely agree with you, Rob, but there will be more bumps in the road, but, at least you can kind of see for the first time what Eric Ten Hag is trying to do. And if it doesn't happen continuously throughout the next few weeks and months, we're expecting that, understanding that. But the the effort levels have been established and now we can see something which makes you believe that this is a manager who can actually turn things around. Yeah, certainly. And, And I think as well, you know, we talk about that connection, like us as fans being able to see it, Footballers need to feel it. So when, they, when they're when sat in the dressing room, they need to know that what the work that they did was the right work. So football fans binary might say, oh, we won two, one, that shows you it was the right work. No, because you go and do the sports science and you go back to the training ground and you look at the, you look at the metric and say, right, what worked, what didn't work? And that's exactly how Ten Hag would do it. But he will be able to say to Marcus Rashford now, won't he? Marcus, you struggled with these things for the last 12 months but you ran the channel, you kept it simple and you got your goal and you probably should have had a second goal and you looked confident and you looked buoyant. Now that's just Marcus Rashford, but you can say that to every player. You could say it to David De Gea. David, you didn't mess around with these things anymore. You just clipped your ball into certain areas. You didn't kind of go over the top. And as Eric Ten Hag said after Brentford, he said, I've not been telling them to play it that short. I've been telling them to go long when they have to go long. Did you did you see uh, in the pre-match with Neville and Carragher where Ten Hag was mm. talking about that? He yeah. said, um, yeah, the plan wasn't to go short. The plan was to pop it over their press. And we didn't yeah. do it. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. I told them to do this. They didn't do that. And we lost 4-0. So the manager, when he goes away, see, we see the game, don't we? And we go, well, why are they doing that? Quite often players just kind of make it up on the spin. They shouldn't do. They should follow orders. That's why Liverpool have become such a phenomenal unit. But ironically, isn't it? United beat this Liverpool team that's failing at the start of the season. And already, after three games, there's these seeds of discontent. I heard Jamie Carragher say after the game that their performance was, quote-unquote, unforgivable. Mm. that's a big word for a team that's got to Champions League finals, won them, won Premier League titles and have been so ridiculously consistent. As you said, Scott, that was their first defeat in the calendar year, which is crazy. Like it's an amazing run for them. You know, they haven't been beaten, have they, at all in 2022. The only game, they lost the Champions League final, but I think we're talking domestically. We're talking domestically in the Premier League. So that is true consistency. So to say that it's, you know, unforgivable, I think is... Is, is over the top when maybe you've got nine or 10 players injured. But on the flip side of that, it shows how quick things can change. Because if Man United play this brand of football now, say over the next month, let's give it that, just one month, people are going to be talking about them as Champions League contenders again. They will do. They just naturally will. And everyone will be high on them. And everyone will love Bruno Fernandes again because Bruno starts running around. And even though he still rolls around and moans and throws his arms up, 
he's helping United win. So, do you think he was a bit of a lucky boy holding on to the ball after Liverpool scored? (laughs) Well, ironically, again, I'll say like this is that I think the other players, Liverpool players, trying to snatch a ball out of his hand should have been because it's our balls, not theirs. So, they can run, they can get the ball. And if you get the ball out the net, you can run it away with you. You can't pull it out of someone's hands who's, and I think that's what Bruno's trying to say. I'm going to the. I'm going to take this. You know, restart the game. So I don't think he was lucky. No, I do think overall, with the way that he leads and when he is a leader on the football pitch, there are parts of his personality that do great. You know, but again, if you win, who cares? You know, like that's the whole thing. That Bruno Fernandes was there, Scott, in the first year. Yeah, the one that greats, but he was scoring goals and winning matches for you. So it's okay. It's when you're not winning and when things are not working. That's when you kind of look and kind of start being micro and analysing people's behaviours. Look, Bruno can do that every week if you win 2-1 and if the team presses like that. And I like the way he played. That was a proper 4-3-3 that United played last night. And uh, and they played it well. And I cannot remember when I do all my tactical work, the last time I said Man United played a 4-3-3 really well. Bruno Fernandes was a huge part of that. Bruno was Casemiro coming in soon. We'll talk about him a little bit yeah. later in the show. Should be in and probably ready to start for the Southampton game. You'd think he's had a preseason with Real Madrid. Uh, we'll talk more transfers later in the show again. But Sancho, uh, Ilanga, even Ilanga, I, I understood his his selection. Obviously, he missed an early chance, but he gave Trent a tough time, worked really hard, and just epitomized everything that. You could, you could see why Eric Ten Hag selected him. He, he, he delivered exactly what he wanted. And people were looking at the substitution at half-time, hooking Alanga off and bringing Martial on, chucking Rashida on the left. I was like, I like that. And Neville, mm-hmm. Neville and Carragher were saying, I don't understand that so much. He's had a good first half. But I, I, I kind of saw why. You see, Ilanga missed that chance when he got it. Yeah. I don't think Marcus Rashford misses that chance when he gets it. And that's how it played out. Yeah, and I think that the core there was that if you run effectively at Trent Alexander-Arnold, that's his weakness. Can you exploit that further? So I think Alanga was really unlucky with his shot. You know, he curls it. It's, it's, a, it's a difficult technique to get that with inside the post, beat, beating Alisson. He did well. And if that goes in, everyone says, what a fantastic finish. And it's kind of very small margins. But one of the things that Eric Ten Hag said after the game, and it's just, again another core key point, he said, strikers and forwards like to conserve their energy for the moments of finishing the ball. And that's what they'll tell you. But that cannot be like that, is what he said. He said they have to do both, do the work and the finishing. You don't get one without the other. And I heard that and it's like an alarm bell going off. Because you think, oh my God, yes, we've been saying this for so long. So that's why I'm cool with Alanga starting the game. When Alanga started, Man United fans get upset because they think he's rubbish. It's not about that. It's about working as a team. I've even seen people this week with Leeds playing well going, Dan James would have done all right in the system, wouldn't he? And it's like people <laughs> killed Dan James when he was when he was at, at Man United. And then there's been packages on Twitter of people putting them together of Dan James doing really cool stuff. And you think, really? Yes. I haven't seen that. Yeah, I've seen it. Actually. And, and people are going because because they're, they're showing that Dan James could have worked in a kind of counter-pressing system. Absolutely. He's not the best player in the world, but it's about it's about form and function in your team. It's not always about numbers. It's not always about the goal scorer. It's about the finishing, winning matches. So, yeah, I'm not, I'm not kind of bigging Dan James up, but I'm, I think the Alanga comparison is really uh, pertinent 
because Alanga is never going to be Cristiano. Alanga will never be, I think, an elite striker, but it's about putting 11 players on the pitch that do the work that hurt the opponent. Anthony Martial, we're talking about how long have we got? We've been on for a good few minutes so far, but anything else you want to pick out from the match and praise? Is there anything that anything that worried you as well, or is it? Are we just going full positive today? Do you know what? It's weird. Nothing worried me at all. There was not. There was not one thing in that performance that worried me, because the decision making was sound. The effort was near on perfect. Like two hundred sprints in a game. I cannot remember the last time Man United did that. I don't think they've ever done that. That might be their record. But I think it's about selection, Scott. And I think if you select the right players and now start to build on that, you know, we're going to talk about a transfer window now, but you need to now go and find these players that are all cherries on cakes. You know, it's all very well baking it and making it, but you've got to find a way to kind of get over the hump and become a viable club again. You've got options in the transfer market. Casemiro, as I said, at the start of the day, looked pretty depressed when he was walking around the pitch early in the before the game. He really did. Almost Maybe he saw nervous. the weather, to be sure. It wasn't great. He might have done, might have seen the weather, or he might have heard the, the, the marching outside, or he might have felt the discontent or whatnot. But at the end of the game, he was in, in his box with a big smile on his face, looking very relaxed, because I think he's seen a Man United team that he can improve. Because that's what I, I bet he's been told this week, a lot of that from advisors, like, yeah, go to the club. But can you improve this lot? And I think that's a big question because this no one's improved this team. Better players than Casemiro. But Casemiro might be the right guy at the right time for this Eric Ten Hag project. So I think he'll look at that and he'll feel really good about what he saw. And he'll go into training with, with his new club, his new teammates. And I think he'll make a difference in that midfield. Yeah. One thing I did notice in his, uh, in his comments upon joining, he talked about... I am, this, this isn't verbatim, but he said something along the lines of leadership and guidance and effort yeah. and all this kind of business. And that's exactly what you, what this player is brought in for. And you saw it with Eric Ten Hag's other signings. Yeah. Malassia has it. Martinez has it. Bit of steel, you know? You have to start buying characters and leaders because you haven't got any. So this is the thing. It does not matter what, players say they are it's what they prove they are and i'm do you know what do you know the metric i'm least interested in casemiro the least one is that he's got five champions league titles do not care you know malassia hasn't got any titles you know so it's about characters and it's about leadership and i think he'll get into that midfield and he will allow those in front of him to express themselves. You know, he'll make Ericsson a better player. He'll make Bruno a better player because he will sit and do the function. So I'm happy with him as a, as a as an individual. But I do still think that there's other parts of that, you know, two, three years down the line, you're going to have a big contract that you might want to move. You might not be able to move it. Well, do you know what? If he gives you a year or two, Scott, and gets you to where you need to be with another load of uh, signings and he's your leader, brilliant, fantastic, go with it. Um, I think that this is kind of where the Casemiro point comes into it, that you, you need someone who's going to bleed on that football pitch. Not your Roy Keane. He's not going to be Roy Keane, but he's close to it in the modern game that he demands a certain style around him. And look, we even saw, we said it off camera, Scott McTominay in a system, playing in a proper role, looked pretty good against Liverpool, didn't he? Did the work. He was technically pretty good. He kind of ticked a load of boxes again and you have to build it. You know, you cannot expect it all to look good after two games. This is only the third game. 
you know, like, it's such a big jump in emotions. But it was great to see that they put together this collective performance from number one to 11. Obviously, we don't count in those numbers anymore, but that was all the way through the team from the goalkeeper to the, to the forwards. There was a purpose about them that we just have not seen from Manchester United since, I, I don't know, Sir Alex? Like, I don't want to go over the top. No, but, but it on, felt no, like but that. Honestly, we said I, don't think I don't think you're too far off there. Yeah, we said on last week's show, I think I said I was watching MUTV when I was doing prep for my work and stuff. I said, and I saw the United City game. So it was, it was Sir Alex when Michael Owen scored the winner. And obviously I remember there and I remember having my coat and swinging it around my head and going crazy. But they worked hard. And that's what I said to you, I think, before, before we shot. I said, that was the difference is that it wasn't all technical and brilliant and beautiful but they just worked their socks off all for the 90 minutes and they just about got the victory. That's what last night was about. Liverpool could have won that game a year ago or 10 minutes ago, but they outplayed them in terms of effort. And Liverpool didn't have that same effort that they normally do. So it shows how you do the simple stuff, you sometimes get the rewards. I don't want to uh, come across like we're celebrating too much, but we are celebrating the fact that We've actually seen the basics come out of Man United. And for the first time, I think most United fans will say, we haven't seen this. Now, in the comments, if, if you're listening to this, leave, leave a comment. When was the last time you saw Man United put in as committed a performance as that? Because it's not been... I, I, can't, th- I can't really think of one, honestly. I, I can't think of one for a long, long, long time. So let us know uh, in the comments. Uh, we'll move on to... I do want to talk about the, the the protests and the marches. Maybe we'll do that in a second. But just on, on Casemiro, Eric Ten Hag called him the cement between the stones. Mm. Lovely line, that. Well, it's a T-shirt, that. It's a T-shirt. I can see <laughs> that happening. You know, T-shirt slogan. Um, yeah, the cement between the stones is literally the most perfect way of putting it because that's why you're buying this guy. And so we've just talked about him extensively. But he is the one that's going to hold together the ship in rocky moments. He's the captain now. Do you know what I mean? If if Lissandro is the butcher, then Casemiro is the captain because that's the way it's going to be. It's that It doesn't matter who's got the armband. It's about that kind of leader in there, that heart and soul. And, and he will bring that, but he's also a technical player. So I think all these things that we want and wish for, you know, it, it, it will take time to come. But we just saw that glimpse of it in the Liverpool game. And, you know, if your postal worker doesn't deliver the letters, you're going to question them. You're going to say, where are my letters? And I think United fans have done that for where is my football for a long time with this team. And I think Eric Ten Hag knows that. He's not an idiot. He knows that he has to build those things and those expectations. And those standards, are, I think, are simple standards, but are difficult to, to do it with this bunch of players, with the play, the 25 players that he's got and had and that Ralph had and Ole had, and you can even go back to Jose, some of them. We struggled to get a level of effort, didn't we, out of them week after week after week. So that's now the challenge. One great game against Liverpool. You know, you, you might lose to Southampton, but if you lose to Southampton, leave it all out there. Mm. Show that you wanted it. If they, if they stroll around, Scott, we'll be back on this podcast next week going, what happened there? And that isn't that could happen, but it's up to Ralph. It's up to Ralph. No, it's not up to Ralph. It's up to Eric to try and get what Ralph didn't get out of them. And that is the big buzzword, consistency. 
Yes, all we've seen is a consistently bad Man United for the duration of this year and back yeah. through, you know, even to September last year. It's probably near in a year now where United have been just god-awful in all competitions. Uh, the Glazers have, you know, the Glazers have felt the heat over the last week or so. Uh, obviously, the news of, or the statement from Jim Ratcliffe's representatives seems to have turned up the heat. And now it seems like, as, as we talked about on the last show, United want to sign five players before the end of the transfer window. Casemiro is one. Uh, we'll talk about transfers in a bit, but obviously United fans who were there last night, uh, the march to the stadium in protest against the Glazers uh, from the 1958. What did you make of how it went down, Rob? Well, it was hugely supported, and and I don't think there's any surprise there. You know, I think uh, the the real mandate from parts of social media was to empty Old Trafford hashtag, and that, that didn't happen really. You did see that there were a few seats uh, empty, but I think overall that that most attended the game. And as I said before, it's very difficult to tell people to buy a ticket and not come. You know, like it's it's a tough thing, especially people coming from abroad. It's the one time they've they've come to see their football club, they've never seen them before. So it's a difficult commercial uh, operation to, to, to tell people to stop doing those things. But the Glazers do need to sell the football club. The Glazers do need to leave Manchester United. And the Glazers have used all their chances up. So it doesn't really matter who they buy. The, the sin against Manchester United fans and the sin against the football club has been happening for 18 years, pretty much. So this, you cannot look at one result and feel good about the Glazers, or certainly not. There has been a few kind of rogue voices in the last week or two saying, but maybe it isn't the Glazers' fault. But I think overall, in terms of the press, there's been a, a kind of much a, a shift towards that these owners have poisoned Manchester United, you know, one of the great footballing institutions in world football that's an English football club. So that's now become a question, I think, that's never been on the table. So uh, there'll be more protests but it shows you can support the team and still protest against the owners. You can do that. You can totally do that and kind of wear your heart on your sleeve and show what you believe. Uh, the Glazers are are a heinous bunch. You know, they're a bad bunch of owners. There is no fan base in the world that would accept what they have done to the football club. But we have to go with it. We have to keep protesting and keep marching and doing it the right way because it's a slow process. And you talked about Jim Ratcliffe there. I'll say it again. Talk is cheap. Put your money on the table. If you've got six billion to buy this football club, tell the world, tell the Glazers, put them under real pressure. Because until that bid comes in, Scott, it's not real. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, just a tip as well. I, I put a tweet out the other day. Uh, I'm guessing every fan who questions why Man United supporters protest against the Glazers would welcome them into their own club. That's a genuine question. So if, if, you're, uh, if you're ever told... Stop complaining. You just signed Casemiro, or stop complaining. You might sign Frankie De Jong or Anthony before the transfer window closes. Just uh, reverse it, reverse it a little bit, because I'm not. I'm not sure every fan of every other club truly understands the significance of, you know, United fans' displeasure with the Glazer family and how they run Manchester. No, it's because look, we have we have a certain image as United as football fans anyway that we're spoiled brats, and we are. We have been spoiled for many years. But this last kind of, when you think about moving from the Ferguson era into where we are now, people go, oh, you know, you're all moaning just because you're losing. Well, no, like we've said here now, we just want our team to play well. And if you lose a football match, you'll accept it. 
the, the whole thing about the Glazers is how they've reconstructed the 10-year period here after Ferguson and what they've done. Yes, they've spent money, but they've not spent their money. They've spent our money. It is our money. It's the football club's money. They've spent a billion on rubbish footballers. But that's not why people are protesting. Not really. They're protesting because the Glazers have taken a billion of the profits out of the football club to go and buy supermarkets in America. That's the truth. That's what they've done. So these things will never heal these wounds because you can't say that. You can't say you took our money away as a football club and spent it on a supermarket in Dallas. Like, who cares? We want to buy footballers. We want to become a better football team. So they are the real points. And we'll, comp we'll complain about them till the end of time. Even if you win the Premier League, it might be less... Like it might be a bit more quiet. You might find fans that are, are not as vocal on social media and whatnot. But the core fan base will always, always object to the Glazer ownership. Feels like we're in a, a moment of pure unification uh, with the majority of the fan base anyway. Everyone seems to be on the same page. And it, it came out really well last night, even in the stadium. Everyone got behind the team. The players felt it and there were chance of against the Glazers throughout the game as well, yeah. especially after the goals. So, you know, the Glazers have, uh, they've taken the biscuit just one, mm. one too many times now. And I feel like just that, that energy has just got to be kept up. And I feel like even results like that with, especially with the match going fans, you know, it's not going to quench that the Glazers are in a moment now where United fans have really got the bit between their teeth and you can't, we can't really afford to lose that. The momentum is too much. Yeah, look, there's been plenty of games in the last, you know, decade and beyond where there hasn't been a whiff of an anti-Glazer song in the, in the stadium. That's the truth. You know, people are against the Glazers, but it kind of ebbs and flows in terms of unity. So, you know, the fans need to keep that up. They need to keep being vocal because the, the, the season ticket holders are the, the lifeblood of Manchester United. They really are. They're the ones that, that, that give you that vocal response. They support the players, but they also speak truth to to everyone else and I, I think that that's the way it has to be now is that those those songs need to continue and that feeling has to continue because if you quieten it down then the rest of the world will go ah oh, look you won a few games now you're kind of all right now you're not singing anything anymore it's a library again and it has happened at United over 10 years we have to be honest that since the Glazers owned the football club there's been this kind of peaks and troughs with the United fans being annoyed at the owners but they're not so annoyed because, you know, you got Angel Di Maria or you got Jose Mourinho or you felt better about the world because you now got Ibrahimovic on your back. You know, all of those things cannot affect why you feel discourse. The Glazers, though, are probably going to fall back to their old habits mm -hmm. and try and please fans or quieten fans down with some mm -hmm. new signings. Uh, so it's a uh, that's a little tie in. We've got nine days left of the transfer window. And United already signed Casemiro for big money. Mm -hmm. uh, and as we reported last week, they want as many as five players. And that was not even including in the, the report that we didn't like him in, not even including a backup goalkeeper or an alternative goalkeeper. Maybe mm. alternative goalkeeper is the better word. So uh, right back, Aaron Wan-Bissaka played for a little while last night, but is probably on his way out. Back to Crystal Palace by the looks of it. We'll see how that one turns out and if it actually materializes. A replacement right back would be needed. A defensive midfielder has been seen and found in Casemiro, a new central midfielder, uh, a right winger in Anthony. I feel like that one's going to pick up or it's already gathering steam. 
And then even, I wouldn't surprise me if they did Cody Gakpo as well, because he can play through the middle, and especially given Ronaldo's desire to leave. It's still there. And if anything, his position in the team after the win over Liverpool is weakened even more. It's, Ten Hag has had justification for not playing Ronaldo now that we've seen it on the pitch. What are you expecting from this lot? We'll, we'll, we'll speak on Thursday, Rob. Uh, maybe something like Anthony will be done by then and maybe we'll have movement on Gakpo. Suggestions are that it'll be one or the other, but I, I can see them doing both. And then there's Frankie de Jong as well. And we spoke off air before we started recording about what we feel about that one. I don't think that's dead yet either. No. So, you know, could be a lot of money spent before the end of the window and this could be a transformative uh, week and a half for United's season and for the next few years. Well, yeah, of course, United, after the first two defeats of the season, go into panic buying mode and start slamming all sorts of cash on all sorts of football clubs' tables, ringing up all sorts of agents. Um, look, let's be honest. If, if Ajax accept the deal Anthony's done, it'll get done very quickly now. Anthony has burnt his bridges in Holland and he's he said, I don't want to play for your football club. Therefore, he's not training. He's he even not posted social media pictures with his agent drinking wine, watching the football. Yeah, that was it last night. I think it was actually his agent that posted it, but he was quite happy kind of with... The, he was there. You know, he was there. Look yeah. at me. I'm in this picture and look what I'm watching. I'm watching Manchester United and the player on the screen, I think, was his mate Martinez. Yeah, so, you know, th- th- that's going to roll. It's going to roll quite quick now. And we've maintained all the way through this. We've talked about the interest around players is that United are looking at Anthony and Gakpo, not not one or the other, simply because they do different things, even though they are both forwards and they both play in the Eredivisie, another Eredivisie link. Um, but you're right. I think that we talk about the justification of not playing Ronaldo. That Half of that problem is the fan base, is that half the fan base, when you're losing, have gone, well, at least Cristiano's scoring. To me, that doesn't mean anything. You know, it's about winning together. And that showed last night that if you've got unity in your front line, it doesn't really matter if Cristiano's playing or not. It's about the players that you're putting out there doing their work and their jobs. So I think that Gakpo and Anthony are kind of perfect forwards for what you saw last night. When I looked at the selection, Scott, before the game, I was like, this is kind of the manager putting out the blueprint here without his players yet. Yeah. So Scotty was in that role in a 4-3-3 and people were like, oh, I'm worried about Scotty. And I was thinking, but that's not Scott McTominay. That's Casemiro. That's Casemiro. And you looked at the front line and you looked at how they set up with Sancho and Alanga, especially kind of the switching that they were doing, because that's what you're going to see from this Man United team. They're going to switch a whole lot. And you were thinking, well, that's clearly Anthony who's going to do that work. And that's going to clearly beat Gakpo running through the centre because that's what he does a lot for his football club. So I think that that's what he was trying to do. He's putting the blueprint out against Liverpool and saying, all right, I have not got my players, but I'm going to get them. When I get my players, I'm not changing my system for them. They will come into my system. So I think that that was all a positive. And I think this is where my United fans might see might start to see the bigger picture on transfers now is that, even though United are in panic mode and they are kind of they're, they're shopping around everywhere, I do think as well a striker is massively on their agenda because I think if Ronaldo does leave the football club, then you, you will have to bring in some kind of number nine at some point, whether they're a good number nine or not, but you need to get one. 
and get that chemistry right. And I think that with the with the signings that are going ahead, I'm happy with them. Like if you could do get Anthony and Gakpo, they're the two that we've talked about for weeks and months, saying these two will help this forward line. Someone like Casemiro, who's more of a defensive entity, will help Man United in midfield. And of course, the cherry on the cake. I talked about cherries and cakes a minute ago. The cherry on the cake will, of course, be Frankie De Jong. So United are still in for him. And they, they, even at this late stage, they are convinced the player is coming. And they're convinced. Yeah, we've heard the same. Yeah. Eric Ten Hag has been speaking to Frankie de Jong for weeks. And we've reported that. And we've talked about that repeatedly. And people have gone, no, he hasn't. Yes, he has. No, we've we've stuck by it because this is what we're being told. And Eric Ten Hag 100% believes that Frankie de Jong will come to Man United. He believes it. So if he believes it, we kind of have to just wait and see till September 1st. Because, of course, it might not happen. But Frankie de Jong is coming to some resolution now with Barcelona over his wages. We know that's happening. And if that happens, I think then things just move very quickly. I think he's on a private jet, wherever he's going, United, Chelsea, the moon, wherever he ends up. And I think that that will then be all over very, very quickly. And Man United will then be pointing fingers at people going, we told you so, you know, you've had a go at us for all this time. But that won't matter, will it, Scott? It's about football, about winning football matches. And those players we've mentioned... Massive, massive upgrades. Suggestions Bayern Munich are interested in Frankie de Jong <laughs> on loan with an option to buy. I mean, United have put the money up straight away. Uh, and Eric Ten Hag is convinced and has been convinced throughout the entire summer. And I, I put it this way, I know they've signed Casemiro, but do you really mm. think given them the amount of fuss that Man United have made over Frankie de Jong over the course of the summer, that if he does become available, they won't do it? You know. Of course. And, and I think as well, Scott, they've had to sell the club to De Jong. We know this. So we know what De Jong's position was in the early days. And we still kind of know what it is today. But it's a big difference, isn't it? Saying to Frankie De Jong, right, come to Man United. You're going to play with this lad called Fred here and this lad here called Scott McTominay. It's a massive difference saying, is this lad Casemiro? I think you know him from La Liga. This is what's going to happen now. You're going to play with this guy. Now that changes everything, doesn't it? It changes how you feel about the transfer as an individual. So I think that he goes there and he thinks, yeah, I can go and be number eight. I can I can do the stuff that I want to do. I can see what Christian Eriksen's doing, but I could do that better than Christian Eriksen. So I think I will start and Christian Eriksen then can become a 10 again or a false nine or play on the right or do other stuff. Christian Eriksen can be used a little bit more sparingly and you'll be able to find that Bruno Fernandes can do the stuff that he likes to do more. All of this stuff is a jigsaw puzzle that you have to put together. But players have to see the plan. So De Jong probably six, 12, eight you know, weeks ago might have gone, where's the plan? But he might now feel that as he sorted out his Barcelona future, that there's something there for him. He might look at Chelsea now, Scott, after a few weeks and go, well, you're not the finished article. You know, you're a mess. But Man United beating Liverpool. I might feel good about that now. So these things chop and change in football all the time. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how you uh, how you interpret or feel about social media posts and activities, uh, but <laughs> on uh, on Monday night and on Tuesday morning, I've seen this a post from four three three Laurie Whitwell's video of uh, Casemiro arriving at Old Trafford by a, through a mob of fans was actually liked by Frankie de Jong. Why would he be liking a post about a Real Madrid player joining Manchester United when he doesn't want to join them? Weird. And players absolutely know what this all means now. Like, you know, like in the, you know, we had it in the summer with Harry Maguire liking a post 
of Cristiano. That was a big enough news story, wasn't it? Taking a pay cut. And it was, it was like, you know, poor Harry, you know, treated, you know, burning on a cross somewhere. And it's like people going for him, absolutely hammering him. And it's like, now Frankie does this and it's like, oh, but maybe it's a mistake. Maybe it's okay. No, players know what these things mean. They do make mistakes sometimes, but let's be honest, Frankie de Jong is not going to like a post about a fourth and again a post that's widely available everyone's going to see it because it will say liked by frankie de Jong, won't it and everyone will see it so i'm not saying that's that shows that he's going to sign for man united but i think it does show that he's not as against signing for man united as people have said for the last eight weeks people have said oh he doesn't want united it's just not what we've heard it's been the opposite and yes it's been quiet but we're going to get now to the fruition point we're getting there and I think you have to be quietly confident. You have to be simply because Barcelona, the basket case that they are, are desperate to get rid of players because they can't register. They've still not registered Kunde, have they? They want to sign Marcos Alonso as well. They can't yeah, sign they him. Want Alonso, they, they can't register these players. Like They are tens of millions out of their bracket of where they need to be in terms of their finances to get it right. So, yes, I think Aubameyang will go to Chelsea. I think that will get completed in the next 48 hours. I think that will happen. And I think Frankie de Jong will now happen sooner rather than later. I don't think Man United will want it to go to transfer deadline day. I predicted that it would. Would not still surprise me. Can you imagine Man United winning transfer deadline day with Frankie? Like, oh my God, how busy would you and me be on that? It would be, you know, 24 hours worth of work, like nonstop. Um, but overall, I think United would like to get this done now and get the majority of their signings done in the next kind of six, seven days to be able to have that that buffer space for the manager. That uh, that number 21 is free, Frankie, still. Uh, Casemiro. It's free. Taking 18 by the looks of it. Uh, Rob, uh, we'll wrap up there because I've got to go and uh, talk on our 90 Min YouTube channel about the, about this game as well and the good feeling for once. It's, it's, it, anything that you want to say before we wrap up and leave until Thursday? Well, people know my catchphrase is don't get too high, don't get too low. Forget that. You can get high when you beat Liverpool. Of course you can. You know, And when Man United play at this level and entertain us, and give us all the effort and, you know, intelligence and technique that we require as a football club, of course, get high, enjoy the next few days because <laughs> the bubble might get burst against Southampton or Leicester, but you don't have to really think like that. You can now say to Eric Ten Hag, we've seen it once, go back to Carrington, make it work, go sign some players and make us a better football team. And it late, that's what I've taken away from the match. I feel that the project has finally started. And it's taken eight weeks from day one to where we are now to have that feeling about it. Nice to be able to talk about a Man United win and especially one over Liverpool where they've actually deserved it as well. They haven't beaten Liverpool in the Premier League since 2018. More than deserved it as well. More than deserved it. I think they outplayed Liverpool in so many parts of the park. Uh, and it goes to show you can be a great team like Liverpool. But if you don't put the effort in and don't do all the technical stuff, you might lose games. What have they got now? One point from three or two, two points? Two points. From two three. points out of nine, and they want to win the title. Well, you've already dropped probably more points than you can afford against Man City. But at least for United, you're going to start. If you can win games now, you can push towards the top four, and maybe the conversation and tone can switch from being perennial losers to being a team that are, are maybe up there. We say Arsenal, Tottenham, Chelsea this year to push for that third spot. Because let's be honest, that's the ceiling this year. Even if you're at your very best, 
You're not competing for the title. You're competing with those football clubs who have started the season really well. Well, not Chelsea, but you know what I'm talking about. Hope this one's been a bit more positive for you, listener. We had a few uh, negative comments from the last show, basically because of... uh... The United were in an awful situation. They were, but at, at least things are looking a little bit brighter after Manchester United beat Liverpool 2-1 at Old Trafford. I'm going to make a prediction. I'm going to make one prediction to go out on. One prediction. Man United, before the transfer deadline day, will make a shock signing. Not saying anything more. And what I'm saying about that is I think they'll bring someone in that everyone will go, oh my God. But let's wait and see. What's your definition of that? Is that someone who's not linked or is uh, a bit out of the box not linked okay so that's that so i i I think that that there'll be a jaw-dropping moment still in this transfer window for united because they are doing they're trying to pull off all sorts of stuff behind the scenes and you know casemiro is a big pull like a bit of a jaw drop but not massively surprising because his agent was shopping him but there's a lot going on in europe and i think there's going to be all sorts of moves in the next few days um ashraf hakimi please (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> could well be he's been shocked so but PSG oh, are looking at PSG are looking at offers for, for Hakimi so it's interesting because all of these players I think that look really set under contract and didn't look like they were moving it, the game has changed in the last few months around finances so Man United are putting all sorts of money on the table and agents are going we might not get this money ever again so do we push these deals through like execute them and push hard and it is happening behind the scenes, so it's a wait and see. Oh, I would love Ashraf Hakimi, Jaden Sancho linking up again after those Dortmund days. Anyway, let's let's wrap up the show. Uh, no more speculation from me, uh, nor Rob. But uh, you can subscribe to our show wherever you get your pods on Apple, Google, Spotify, and the likes. And watch us twice a week on Tuesdays and Fridays usually. But this will we'll be back Thursday afternoon, maybe Thursday evening. We'll upload uh, a little bit earlier for you ahead of the Southampton game. So head over to our YouTube channel, The Promised Land, a Manchester United podcast, and hit the like button on the latest video and every video we've ever done. Subscribe to the channel, join the community, leave a comment as well. I've prompted you to leave a comment a number of times throughout this video. Let us know when Man United last played as well as they did with as much commitment as they did against Liverpool. When was the last time they did that? Let us know in the comments. The link should be in the description of this episode as well if you're listening on an audio platform. And follow us on Twitter too for more happy tweeting from myself and Rob at underscore Scott Saunders, at underscore Rob underscore B, and at Promise and MU for the show as well. Rob, thank you very much. Catch you on Thursday. Everyone, have a good couple of days until we speak again because United have actually won a game. Thank you very much. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.